Waiting, waiting is not always wasted. Waiting is not always wasted. In the summer of 1996, I graduated from Asbury Theological Seminary. You should say, I'm so sorry, Max. Okay? It was the second of two graduate degrees that I earned. I thought I was going on for a doctorate. I thought I was moving. I was wrong. The two doctoral programs I applied to said, no, thank you. So all of a sudden, I had no plans. And so I was in what's called a waiting period. And while I was in that waiting period, I took a job as an elementary school janitor. Booyah! Which meant that I did the boys' bathroom, the fourth and fifth grade boys, who decided, because there was a divot in the floor every day, how much pee that divot could hold. I was an elementary school janitor through flu and stomach bug season and I became acquainted with sprinkles. I learned all kinds of things. I vacuumed, uh, and at night, I would still volunteer in my church, and so I was the, the, one of the middle school youth leaders, and then I would make suggestions about how the church should change organizationally. You're not gonna believe this, but at the time, that church's elders in their, that was the governing board of that church, they would decide how much toilet paper and paper towels the church needed, and I was like, hey, you know, other people could do that. So from, you should know from day one here at Generations, like <laughs> decision-making happens by the people doing the ministry, okay? But there were things like that I did in addition. Now, I learned an important life skill as a janitor. I learned how to handle vomit. Now, for some of you, you're not parents yet, and I just want to say this is an important life skill. This is, there are YouTube videos of dads. Like I heard about the dad who, you know, had to get out of his car because the kid puked in the car every so many miles and <laughs> in order to make it home, okay? So being at your ability to handle, first of all, if you have a baby, guys get involved in that baby shower and sign up for a wet, dry shop back. Just don't ask me why, I can explain later. That's a tool that you're gonna wanna have in your toolbox. But learning, <laughs> I'm just shooting straight up. Some of you are like, no. Yes, it's really true. This is true. So I learned an important life skill. Um, I learned in all of that, I learned that really there was no job that is beneath me. That's one of the great things about being an elementary school janitor. And the other thing that it did is that for my parents and my in-laws, it, it helped them maintain humility, right? What's Mark doing? What's Max doing now that he graduated? Uh, he's uh, <laughs> and I'd be like, say it with pride, mom, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, so waiting isn't always wasted in that time. See, I thought I was just, at the time, I thought, man, I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm not going anywhere. I'm supposed to be going somewhere. Should I be in ministry? Should I not be in ministry? I don't know what I'm like, ah! But see, God was preparing me in that waiting time. There were things I was learning. And so the waiting wasn't wasted. Here's another way that that is so true. If I had had $1.2 million in 2004 when we launched Generations, I would have built a stereotypical church building. So let me, so let me put, put that up here. We'll go past, uh, well, oh, I gotta turn it on, man. It's all these things I gotta remember with technology. It's terrible, terrible. And then they let the preacher, so that's, 
Now, I wouldn't have built this, but this is just like, in this, you know, you look at that and it's like Norman Rockwell, you know, just idyllic thing, okay? But I would have built a sanctuary, a kid area, you know, stereotypical church. You know the weirdest thing about today, churches? Churches are trying to get rid of their buildings. Churches are trying to figure out how they can do multi-use with their buildings. If I had a few million dollars today, now this isn't generations leadership, this is just me, Max. You know what I'd build? I'd partner with the YMCA. Our community needs an indoor pool for the East and West high school swim teams and year-round swimmers. We just had the one team in, in, in the county closed down, they have to drive to Lexington for it. I'd build a community theater in the middle and John tells me we could fly crosses up and down, you know, on whatever those electric, you know, <laughs> the big giant cross comes down and up. We could use that for, uh, you know, Sundays, but then, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that parking lot's getting used, the YMCA's getting used, the swimming pool's getting used, the theater's getting used, and then we could just have dedicated kid and office spaces. So in other words, waiting isn't always wasted. Right, because now churches are facing, will we lose our tax exempt status? And if so, what, what is our building really doing for the community other than occupying space? Okay, and so these are the things that are part of that. In your life, you're gonna have to wait. And in the book of Nehemiah, I think Nehemiah can help us when it comes to waiting. And I'm gonna come back to this in a little while, but Nehemiah waited, trusted, prayed, planned, and testified. That's like five points and that's terrible. Okay, well, don't worry, we'll come back to it. Here's where you are, right? You, I meet so many people. I'm single, but I don't wanna be single. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for someone to find me. That's from Snow White. Um, so, you don't believe me, it really is from Snow White. She's singing at the well. Um, so. Some people are waiting for relationships. And we talked about this when I was in the sex series. There are things you can do if you're single that are part of the waiting period that actually, you know, it's that preparation and some other stuff. There's some of you that are waiting and you're like, you know, I don't know what I should major in. I don't know what kind of career I have or I have this career, but I really, now that I'm in it for five or 10 years, can I just say, this is not what I thought it was. I would really like out. Is there an eject button anywhere, anywhere, okay? And then, you know, so some, I've heard some people, man, and I've done this with Jenny. Jenny, just 10 more years, honey, and they're all out of the house. Can you make it? I can make it. Okay, can you make it? All right, let's make it together. <laughs> Packed. Winter twin powers activate. Woo! Okay, so Nehemiah is instructive. If Nehemiah put together a resume, like he wouldn't have a cell phone or anything like that. That's why that stuff is up at the top. But from chapter one, right? From chapter one, remember, Nehemiah was a Jew, Nehemiah was an Israelite at a time when there was no more Israel. Isra the nations of Israel and Judah, Judah had been defeated militarily by the Babylonians. Babylonians came in and they ransacked the towns, they burned a number of the towns, they destroyed the city gates for a number of the cities, and they had a policy of deportation. So if they came into your town, in the town of Nicholasville, for example, they would just deport you all the way to Montreal, Canada. You'd be like, but I don't speak French. And they'd be like, mm, too bad. Um, and so that's how it worked. And Nehemiah was one of those deported Jews living in Susa, the capital of what was then Persia. But we know from chapter one that he actually had some important skills. He was concerned about problems. Remember that? Nehemiah heard about the wall and he was like, what? We've got to do something about it. And there was something about the way his brother talked about the wall and talked about how the city of Jerusalem was that really grabbed Nehemiah's heart. 
and he couldn't shake it, and he couldn't get it out of his head, and he couldn't get it out of, out of his heart, and that's a burden. Okay, so he was concerned about problems. He had a strong conviction about God's character. He knew the kind of God that God is. He confessed his sins regularly. Remember that part of chapter one? And he's like, me and my father, we're part of the problem. I've sinned. My household has sinned. Uh, he had confidence in, in God's uh, promises. God had promised, if I exile my people, I will bring them back if they repent. And then last but not least, he, he had a commitment to get involved. He personally got involved to help solve the problem. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you brought your Bible, that's where we're going to be. I'll put the verses on the big screen for those of you who are like, I don't, can't find it. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Waiting isn't wasted. This little verse in, in the first verse of chapter two is four months after what takes place in chapter one. So for four months, he, he knew he wanted to be part of the solution to this problem. And he waited and he prayed and he fasted and he waited and he prepped and he prayed and he fasted. And it was for four months. Now, by biblical standards, that's short. Abraham waited, I'm going to give you a son. 25 years later, along comes Isaac. Uh, Joseph, oh man, you're gonna, all your brothers are going to bow down before you. And then he sold off into slavery. I mean, sold off into slavery. He has all these twists and turns. And then he spends two years in prison for something he didn't do. And from there becomes vice pharaoh. Two whole years in prison, okay? Moses, 40 years tending sheep which is a bad job. Tending sheep is a bad, it's a bad joke too, but tending sheep, 40 years of his life goes by before he gets to get in on the action in the burning bush. David, the little guy that got anointed by Samuel the prophet, and then the prophet was like, see ya, and ran for his life. He spent 10 years, all of his 20s, running from King Saul, wondering, when am I gonna be crowned king? Okay, four months is really not that long. But let's be honest, though. When you and I have waited a week, it's like, well, what am I going to do? I don't know. Oh. Okay, the sky is falling. But so four months, what does waiting do? Waiting teaches us to depend on God. One of the things that waiting does is it teaches us to depend on God. Because if we got what we asked for right away, we would grab the goodies and forget God. There are people in this room. There are people in this room right now. Ask Nate and Kate Davis about waiting, right? Forever, forever. We're, I think we're going to adopt, and we're going to adopt, and it's going to work, and, and you go through it, and then there's a part of you, and you think, you know what? I can make this happen. I can make phone calls. I can, I can, there's all this stuff, and then you get to a point, and you're like, I can't do anything. I need God, right? And they would tell you, it's, it's God. God's all over this. Dave Potter, I remember a season, right? I'm going to get out of retail. I need to get out of retail. I'm going to get out of retail. I'm getting out of retail. Click my heels, click my heels. I'm getting out of retail. And it was like not happening, not happening, not happening, not happening. It took how long? Forever. <laughs> but now you ask him, what are you doing? How does this work? Oh, it's awesome. It's all God. Okay? Waiting does something in us. 
okay, if, if we're attentive to it. By the way, waiting for young seminarians, I, can't, I went to school with Methodists. <coughs> Stereotypical young buck Methodists is 25. They get in their first appointment and they start changing everything and moving everything around and doing this and that and they don't have a lay of the land and they jump right in and get going and then everybody's mad at them. And I'm like, you know, wait. But I, no, sh- wait, it's okay, okay? So waiting, ha- waiting is not wasted. Verses two and three. Uh, So the king asked me, because he had never before appeared sad in his presence. The king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I was very much afraid. See, if you're the cupbearer and you're part of the royal entourage, the way it worked back then is, yes, sir, awesome, good idea, sir, way to go, sir. Some of you are like, that's my job now. Okay, so see, things, <laughs> things haven't really changed in like 3,000 years. But I, you, if you were sad in the presence of the king, see, it's kind of like a modern-day Stalin or... Uh, what, how do you say his name? King Young Il. Okay, you know if, if they don't like you, they will kill you that night. And so you could not be sad in the king's presence without you know ruffling feathers in the potential of death, which is you know semi permanent. And so rightly he's scared. And we know from Ezra chapter four verse twenty one, this same king issues this decree. He says this. Therefore, this is Artaxerxes, therefore, issue orders to have these men in Jerusalem stop their work. That city must not be rebuilt except by my express orders. So now, the thing he's wanting the king to do is change his mind. Oh, that's a winning proposition. Try that with some of the presidential candidates. Hey, we're going to go this way instead of that way. What? Okay, right? So very much afraid. He had good reason to be afraid. You don't get afraid, do you? I get afraid. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. Sometimes I'm afraid of the unknown. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm, I'm, I think, well, God's not going to come through on his part. I'm afraid that I'm not going to succeed. Some, I've met people in life that are afraid their past is going to catch up with them. What are you afraid of? Nehemiah had good reason to be afraid, but there's that key word, uh, but, verse 3, I was badly frightened But remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to do what is right or needed in spite of fear. And so let's keep going in these verses. Verse 4, the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. You should know this prayer. This is an important, we learned this in seminary. Bear with me. Jesus, help me. It is the simplest prayer you can pray. God, help me. Oh, help me. Help me, help me, help me. That's what he prayed in that moment. Trust me, okay? And that prayer that uh, Christians like to use catchphrases, and one of the catchphrases we like to use is, well, we're going to do popcorn prayer. And what they mean are little phrases like that. Help me, Jesus. Uh, Now, Nehemiah's utterance of this prayer, you know, kind of under his breath before he answers, is predicated and built on four months of extended prayer and fasting. 
right? So bear that in mind. But where you and I live, before you answer your boss, help me, Jesus, before you respond to your spouse, help me, Jesus, before you discipline your kids, and kids, when mom and dad are really rotting your socks off, before you lay into them, help me, Jesus, right? Okay, so th there's some good practical things here. And, and we're, told, we're, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, what is it, 17, it says this. Here's another short verse if you want to memorize a verse today. Never stop praying. Three words, boom, you just memorized a verse of the Bible. Never stop praying. Now, I used to think that what this meant for the longest time in my life meant ceaseless. It's just going on all the time. And I was like, I can't do that. That's too hard. But the, the Greek word here used is the word used of if you've ever had bronchitis really bad <coughs> and you've gone to the doctor <coughs> and he says to you, you know that cough? <coughs> yeah, doctor. You're going to have that for several weeks. <coughs> it means repetitive, ongoing. It keeps coming up over and over again. That same word is used to describe repeated military strikes on a target. Okay? So it's not a bad idea throughout your, help me, Jesus. I mean, it, it really is one of the most basic prayers, but you would be surprised at what God can do, okay? Let's keep going, verses five and following. With the prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me tender, timber. I'm going to need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. In those four months when Nehemiah was stewing and praying and weeping and praying and fasting, he was also planning and preparing. And so when the king asked him, when the moment came, he, he knows exactly what he needs, doesn't he? He's already thought it through. That's good advice, isn't it? When Jenny and I moved here uh, to Kentucky, I got a job uh, at a gas station and then a janitor, and then Jenny wanted to teach because she had taught two years in Illinois, and she's like, I don't want to do just any job. I really want to teach. So she developed a plan, the Jenny High Heels system. So every Wednesday, every Wednesday, she would don what I call her flight attendant suit with her high heels and, and hose, and she would go to every elementary school and personally press the secretary. What do you have open? What do you think's gonna open? Here's who I am. Did the principal really read my resume? You know, every single week she would do this. She had a plan and she worked the plan. Well, at the end of the summer at one of the elementary schools, the principal went through all these interviews and decided he didn't like any of the people. And so he told the secretary, Call, here's the list of people I wanna interview next, call them. And she, she tells this story. She said, I looked him square in the eye and I said, Paul, you are gonna hire that poor woman from Chicago who's come in here every week this summer in high heels and hose. I don't care if you hire her, but by God, you're gonna interview her or I'm not talking to you the whole year. <laughs> and then when he interviewed her, he's like, dang, I wanna hire you, right? <laughs> okay? 
planning is not an either, either or thing. I know Christians that do the whole, well, you know, just let the Holy Spirit lead. We don't need a plan. Look, I'm not that good a preacher. I want you to know that every week, every week you can see notes that I have brought in, I have prepared. It may not be awesome, but by golly, there's a plan and I'm prepared. I can tell you that in a, all the years at Generations, there have been about three times where the plans got tossed aside because the Holy Spirit wanted to do something different. But so there's, there's extremes, right? On the one end of the extreme are the people who just plan, 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 and there's no room for God. Please don't do that. On the other end of the extreme are the people who are like, just let go and let God. It's going to be awesome. Do you even have waters for this outdoor event? No, but God's going to work it out. Don't do that either. <laughs> okay? Planning is not an either or. It's a both and. And so uh, Nehemiah was prepared. Last but not least, these last couple of verses. Um, and this is verses 8 and following. Uh, da, 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 da. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors, wait a minute. There we go. And a it's manager, I'll need it. Nope, we don't even have those. Okay, well, I'll read it to you. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard of my arrival, they were displeased that someone had actually come to help the people of Israel. But there's that kicker phrase, and, uh, oh, you don't even have that either. Oh, man. Uh, it's this phrase right here in verse 8. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. The gracious hand of God was on me. In other words, it's not me, it's God. It, it's a perspective thing. Um, Psalm 118 puts it this way, and I think that's what I have here. It's the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Um, these verses are speaking about perspective. I love it when Mike Lesage talks about control. He will, he will chuckle in his Mike Lesage way. He will go, control <laughs> is an illusion. <laughs> True? <laughs> True. The older you get, the more you realize how little you really control. <laughs> okay? And so it's speaking about perspective. It's a recognition that God really can do more than you or I can do on our own. Well, how did Nehemiah move the king? In a sense, he didn't. God did. But he had a part. He prayed. He had prepared. He, he had confidence in God's promises. Um, there were things that he did to kind of actively wait. All right? But first, in light of Nehemiah, I want to ask again, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Nehemiah had good reason to be afraid but he also had something he was terribly burdened about. And God did something amazing, and we're going to see it in the weeks ahead. How are you preparing? Did you know in this congregation, there are people, if you're like, I don't know the steps, I can't see the steps, there are people in this church family that will sit down with you and talk with you and go, okay. And they'll ask questions and help you map out some steps so that when the moment comes, like Nehemiah, you can go, okay, I need timber for, you know... <laughs> You'll know. Five tools that Nehemiah had in his toolbox. Waiting, because waiting isn't wasted. 
He trusted God for the right moment to come. He was praying on an ongoing extended basis, and when the moment came, God helped me. And God did. He not only had a plan, but he also had the perspective to recognize God could do more than he could on his own. So here's where the rubber hits the road for you and me. If you get a burden for something, if you think God's up to something in your life and you're gonna do something, you heard it from the sages, you heard it from several people this morning, expect lag time. There is lag time between God saying, boom, I'm gonna do this, and it actually happening. Just expect it, please expect it. And then don't just sit around. There's things that you and I can do. We can address our fears, we can pray, we can plan, we can get perspective. It's active waiting, but it's waiting nevertheless. Here's the thing, gang, you, you're not, I, Jesus is who he claimed to be. That's why I stand up here every Sunday, I'm convinced of it. You're not here by accident, you're not. Uh, God really does have a plan for you. He wants to deploy you in kingdom service. There are things he's wanting to do all over the world and you have a role in it if you'll sign on and say yes. Um, last week we talked about the fact that one of the first steps for a lot of us is to just look around and see what there is to see. And it may be that you get burdened about something. There are all kinds of problems. Remember the problems we have in America? political problems, family problems, financial problems, educational problems, like every system in our country is broken. Help, help, red alert, okay? <laughs> so there's no lack of opportunity. There's no lack of opportunity. I wanna tell you about somebody. This is Meg. Meg's married now. Meg had a burden for hungry people in Jessamine County. And to hear her mom, Ramona, who was the first director of the Jessamine County Food Pantry call it, these are her words, not mine, I would say, well, Ramona, that was really tiring, that long stint that you guys did in, in helping the food pantry get underway and really get traction. You know, you, you had this demanding job in Frankfurt. Why didn't you just tap out? She says, oh, no. We had to do something. Meg wouldn't let us not do something. <laughs> Right? Walking away was not an option. Well, their family's investment has snowballed. Today, the, the, the Jesmond County Food Pantry is serving over 300 people every any given month in Jesmond County. In the first quarter of this year, they gave away over 40,000 pounds of food. In part because a teenager was like, Mom, no, we have to. There, I'm telling you, there are hungry people here in Jessamine County. We have to do something. It's okay to let yourself be burdened and expect the lag time. Here's, here's what I want to close with. Remember I told you I was an elementary school janitor? Do you know where I was an elementary school janitor? Rosenwald Dunbar Elementary School. Rosenwald Dunbar Elementary School. When I was a janitor there and when I was a pastor, I had no plans whatsoever to start a church. Wasn't part of my plan, had no, just wasn't on my radar at all. When Generations Community Church launched, we met in a school. Guess where, which school we met in? Rosenwald Dunbar Elementary School. Man, that's a weird coincidence. Man, that's a weird coincidence. I'm telling you, waiting is not always wasted.